Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that harkens back to the days when Father really did know best, and we all know it's because he smoked a pipe. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly broadcast for all of us pipe smokers all around the world. I'm your host, Brian Levine, and it is the middle of November, and the chills have set in, and I've got a fun show for you tonight. In Pipe Parts, I'm going to dig into a little bit of a live topic as of this week. We're going to talk about fakes counterfeiting yes and my guest coming up master penman pipe smoker poet mike sull mike will be on the phone with me music got a good mailbag to get caught up on got a couple of really interesting juicy things that i can't wait to get into and rant at the end all of that coming up for you in the upcoming hour of the pipes magazine radio show uh, it's uh, It's been a good, busy week here at home. Unfortunately, I'm in the market for a car. Unfortunately, my uh, little car has just about had it, so I've been out car shopping. And uh, let me tell you, those of you that are buying new cars nowadays, there's something that new cars ha- don't have that old cars do. I've been looking at some older cars and found one that I think I like. We'll see if we uh, see if I end up getting it, but uh, it's got two ashtrays: one in the front seat, one in the back seat, and the stereo system has knobs for everything instead of one knob where you push it to keep selecting all the way through. So hopefully that'll work out. Got to work through some details on that. Uh, it's been really good pipe smoking weather for me at home because makes it easier to stay inside and smoke my pipe. Uh, House is all ready. We're contemplating for Christmas decorating with the uh, new LED lights. So if anybody's had any experience with those, let me know what you think. Also, don't forget, please don't forget, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com or send me a private message on the Pipes Magazine forums. I want to do your, I want to hear everybody's holiday pipe smoking traditions. That way we can uh, read those around Christmas time. So keep sending me all those holiday traditions. It's brian at pipesmagazine.com. Private message me on the forums. Send me your message on uh, Facebook. Yeah, friend me, follow me on Facebook. I don't post much on there, but when I do, it's something interesting. All right, everybody, let's get going. Sit back, relax. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. Fire up a bowl, and here we go. This is Internet Radio. The term one-stop shop is so overused. There's no place that is literally a one-stop shop. Well, guess what? When it comes to your quality tobacco products, there is. It's CupOJoes.com. With hundreds of pipe tobacco blends, thousands of pipes in stock, a wide variety of cigars, coffees, accessories, and so much more. All you have to do is go to CupOJoes.com, and there it is. CupOJoes.com. Quality products, extraordinary prices. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Welcome back. My apologies. Uh, Producer Kevin tells me that it sounded funny, and uh, yeah, sure enough, I checked. I had one of the settings off on the microphone, so my apologies for that. We're back on track going to talk about fake or counterfeiting. So here's what prompted this. There was a forum post on Pipes Magazine about a potential seller on eBay selling some counterfeit stuff. The same day that I read that, later on in the day, uh, Public Radio International, PRI, did a piece on a gentleman who is a professional investigator of counterfeiting in China. He's an American that lives in Hong Kong and goes through great detail and depth to try and discover who's counterfeiting what. 
the latest thing, and I'm going to get Kevin to post a link to this uh, to this article or to the interview on the web on the page for the show. The latest thing is apparently the Chinese are counterfeiting wine. Sure enough, they're counterfeiting wine. They're trying to come up with a close copy of it, recreate the label. Now, counterfeiting or fakes in pipes is nothing brand new. Uh, the late, great John Loring, who is one of the authorities on Dunhill, on his website talks about the 1980s fake Dunhills. There was apparently some uh, turmoil going on at Dunhill and some pipes or bowls got out of Dunhill that weren't exactly authorized. And at the same time in the late 70s, early 80s, the hobby of buying estate or used pipes was picking up and some pipe shows were starting to show up. So apparently... These fake pipes were finished off and stamped fairly close to what Dunhill was stamping. Some of them were stamped with older stamps, so it got real exciting for some people. But apparently there was even a private showing of these pipes where sales were good. And then the pipes came over to the United States for pipe club for a pipe show or two. And by 1984... 40 or 50 or so pipes had been sold. Now, <clears throat> this is all researched by John Loring. There's also been signs of some faking of Dunhill lighters, Dunhill accessories, Dunhill pipes even earlier than that, but nobody can really prove it. The basic rule of thumb is caveat emptor. Buyer beware. Know who you're buying from. Know who you're dealing with. The situation in China could very simply be this. Somebody over there has a couple of people that know how to make pipes and they're trying their darndest to make duplicate copies or create pipes that are very similar in style to current day pipe makers. Uh, Tom Eltang himself has said that this is the second time where he's seen his pipes copied or knocked off. As pipe smoking gets to be more and more popular, and as the global market gets smaller and smaller, this is one of those benef one of those drawbacks to the benefit of the internet, where a manufacturer can quickly reach the consumer directly. You need to know who you're dealing with, and I suspect, especially since. Artisan pipes on the Chinese market are super high priced, sometimes going for two to three times retail of what we're used to paying for them here in the United States and in Europe. I suspect we can start to see more and more of this. If you're suspect of the person, know who you're buying from, try to find out who you're buying from, ask them a couple of key questions, ask them in particular, what materials are the pipes made out of? What year did they acquire it? It's all about buyer beware. Yes, there are fakes out there. There's fake wine out there now. So, of course, there's eventually going to be fake pipes. I could even see them moving into some of the more traditional brand names because in China, we've seen them on the market already. Very cheap wood tobacco pipes that retail in the U.S. for 8 $9, and they're made out of some sort of wood with some sort of stain on them, well, it's only a matter of time before they up their game. And as uh, Neil Rohn said, pipes are pieces of art and uh, need to be critiqued as pieces of art. Well, guess what? These little pieces of art can be knocked off just like uh, artwork has in the past. So there's pipe parts. Buyer beware. Know what you're getting. Know who you're dealing with. In just a few minutes, Mike Sull will be on the phone with me. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical. A tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions, only to get burned. 
When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliftTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented perfect match system. Try it at SutliftTobacco.com. Go to SutliftTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. Hi, this is James Earl Jones, and you're listening to a very, very fine program called The Pipes Magazine Radio Show. I hope you enjoy it. I am pleased to welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show one of the uh, unique people in our hobby. Uh, Michael Sull is a world-class expert on penmanship, and amongst his credits, he was the personal calligrapher to President Ronald Reagan, travels all across the world teaching penmanship, and in addition to that, is a pipe smoker. Mike, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you, Brian. Oh, Pleasure and I, I forgot to mention poet, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let's talk about the pipe smoking, because that's what connects all of us. Yes. Uh, when did you start smoking a pipe? When I was in college, I, um, I always enjoyed the smell of a pipe. Because my grandfather used to smoke a pipe. And then um, during my teen years, my scoutmaster smoked a pipe. So, I mean, how can you not be impressed, right? <laughs> so when I was in and then when I went to college, I went to the College of Forestry at Syracuse University. Everybody smoked a pipe. And it was all corn cobs. Everybody smoked a cob. So um, it was a wonderful atmosphere, and I, uh, I started smoking then. So was your first pipe a corn cob? Oh yeah, oh absolutely, and I still, I still have it. It's uh, yellow and pretty dry <laughs> by now. It's over forty years old, but um, somehow or another, it was one of those things I just couldn't get rid of. So I, uh, I'm, I'm a little careful with it now. You know, it's a little more brittle than it was forty some years ago, but it, it still would give a good smoke, I'm sure. Well, we're all a little more brittle than we used to be. Yeah. I, I think that because I smoke aromatics, the, the pipe has kind of been juiced up enough over the years <laughs> that it hasn't just completely, you know, disintegrated. But now, that's just my opinion. What was the first tobacco that you smoked? Okay, now, you know, we're going back in, in time. I think the first one that I smoked was uh, Amphora and Flying Dutchman. And then after that, I really got hooked on Borkum Rift for quite a while, probably 10 years or so. And then I, eventually, of course, I was introduced to, you know, the, the more premium brands, and um, which are the ones now that I, I enjoy so much. Now, this was, this was in the late 60s, early 70s when you got started, right? Right. So that was when Amphora, Borkum Rift, those were, those were premium, top-notch brands. Well, yeah, back then it seemed to be they were, you know, they were notch above, you know, oh, gosh, Middleton's Cherry and, you know, Field and Stream. <laughs> they were, yeah, they were much more highly regarded at that time. I started, I, I guess the year I started was 67. Have you, uh, have you tasted Amphora or Flying Dutchman recently? Oh, no, good heavens. I didn't even know they were still making it. <laughs> well, I won't tell you. They're still making it, but I was just just interested in maybe if there was a change. Well, I'll, I'll have to find some. You know, I've been I've been really spoiled because, you know, I mean, I'm one of the, as you know, I've, you know I, I, I'm one of the founding me members of the Greater Kansas City Pipe Club, and, of course, you know, Mike and Mary McNeil 
are you know lifetime members and so i've been i've been weaned off of the uh, you know the, those other tobaccos and i'm just so in love with the premium tobaccos especially you know the, the blends from McClellan's that uh, i i don't venture forth too much when i go to a pipe show then i sort of you know break loose jump out of my box and and get my rails on you know different track and I, I try some new things and there there are a few that I really enjoy but I always seem to go back to uh, McClellan's I just I really enjoy their tobacco so much and you know they were very kind and as you know they they honored me with my own blend <laughs> I, I was so so touched by that that was pretty special now when you when you go off the rails and you go crazy you're not talking about like smoking a Virginia or an English are oh, you no, no 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 I just I, I stay, still stay with the aromatics, but I, I go to other brands, you know, like, um, oh, gosh, there's so many of them. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the new blends that are out, the Ashtons, um, you know, there's there's some, uh, well, Stokeby's, and, of course, the, there's, you know, Peterson has their share of them. I mean, there's many of them, you know, Hearth and Home. There's so many. I mean, those are just a few. But, they, of course, at the... You know the shows you can get samples and so i try different ones and um and there's a few that i like but i i have to admit uh, to me there's you know having good mcclellan's aromatic is for me is like going to a fine restaurant <laughs> just always come back <laughs> now i and i've also i'm, I'm proud that uh, i'm proud and happy that you are a you're a devoted aromatic smoker you also have had some. Uh, you've had a quite a substantial pipe collection throughout the throughout time. Uh, well, I've had my share. Yeah, I, I think so. I remember one Kansas City pipe show where you started pulling out Danish handmaids one after another, and you were. And I'm looking at these pipes, and I'm surprised that. I guess I was kind of shocked that a uh, aromatic smoker would have them, but. <laughs> when did you? How did you? What began the progression into the handmade pipes? Well, when um, you know, I we started our club in '98, and prior to then, I really, you know, was still smoking some of those. Um, oh, I guess they're a notch above what we used to call drugstore brands. But all of a sudden, when I was introduced to finer tobaccos. I was, of course, introduced to finer pipes, and you know the as an artist too the you know the aesthetics of the of the pipes and because of my background and you know with with forestry, I never was in that as a career, but that's what I went to college for. I always appreciated the idea of wood, and in my own line of work as a as a professional penman, you know I make the type of pens that we use, which are all made out of different woods. So all of a sudden I had this great this great love affair with these beautiful, beautiful pipes. And the more I got into it, the more people were talking about the great names, you know, the Iversons and, uh, oh gosh, Teddy and all the others. And I, you know, started going to pipe shows besides the one that we have annually. And, you know, you sort of get hooked they're just they're just beautiful and they, yeah they're only they're all pieces of wood with holes in them but there's just something magical and special about that and i um you know i started to you know, was talking with some of my friends in the club and they said oh yeah i like this man's pipes because of and they would explain this and the more and more i heard about that the more intrigued i got and then, of course, I started going to the Chicago show, and I actually met these famous makers who turned out to be wonderful people who love to talk about, you know, their craft and their art. And so I started to try and, and get one of their pipes, you know, start with one that I could afford at the time. Well, years went by, and more and more I found, you know, there was a, a, a person there that I didn't have one of their pipes, and I just happened to find one. It may have been an estate. It may have been one of their lower-end, you know, new pipes. But um, I just started collecting them, and, uh, well, that's what I did. And I had, yeah, I accumulated quite a nice collection, and I was, 
you know, very proud of it because it was something that I'd done over time and, you know, went to the effort of, with, with due respect to the Internet, it wasn't something where I just looked at my computer, pressed buttons, put a check into PayPal, and I got it in the mail. It was something where I went to these conventions. I met these pipe carvers and talked with them and spoke with them. And, you know, I, I wrote their names for them and, you know, afterwards as a thank you. So I established this friendship with many of them. And so to me, acquiring their their pipes became this wonderful relationship, not just with the pipe itself, but with the people who made them. And I just kept enjoying it more and more. So... Yeah, over time, I, you know, I've got my share of pipes, and like everybody else, I've traded some as time goes by, and, you know, there's new ones that come up, and, oh, I've got to get this one, and there's others that you haven't smoked in a while, and so my, my collection has, has fluctuated, like most, you know, pipe collections do, but, yeah, I, I really do enjoy it very much, and one of the things you might enjoy hearing, I have, I have uh, several categories that I really enjoy as far as a pipe collector. One is brand names of, of penmen or penmen of pipe carvers who um, you know I admire. But one of the other things that I've enjoyed is collecting pipes made of other woods, non briar pipes. And I've oh, I probably have fifteen or twenty different woods that, that uh, you know, you go to a pipe show and there'll be some carver there one, once there was a carver who was making pipes out of manzanita wood, and huh. here in our own in our own club, uh, we have a, a fabulous master craftsman at woodworking who makes fabulous pipes, and I've commissioned him to make several pipes. You know, his name is Anthony Harris. Many people know him. His pipes are just gorgeous, and uh, I commissioned him to make several pipes for me out of some woods that I really like and admire that I make pens out of. And so over time, I've really enjoyed that aspect of it because it's, it's an unusual collection, but one that I enjoy. And, and they smoke just fine, you know. <laughs> it's just a little different than all briar pipes. Is there a little bit of a taste difference, or is it a difference in the way it deals with the heat? <laughs> when, it's, it's both. When, because I'm an aromatic smoker, the first few smokes are when you when you can taste the wood. Yeah. <laughs> After that, they taste like aromatic tobacco. But there's a few of them. Cherry pipes, you know, have a distinct flavor to them. Um, there's a couple others as well that that do have. Uh, there's a, a wood that I a beautiful wood that that actually grows. It's a, it's a, a a weed tree. It's a noxious considered a noxious weed and. In central and northern United States, it's a tree that was uh, originally brought over from another country to be an ornamental back at the turn of the century and taken over. It's called buckthorn. Many people are familiar with it because it it sort of overpopulates uh, ranch lands and such. But it's got gorgeous wood and it's very hard, and it just it works great as a pipe. What's interesting is that some of these woods, unlike briar, where you have a burl, so you have grain going in all different directions, with these pipes, they're you know usually straight grain types of wood. They may have interlocked grains, but still they're linearly grained. So when you smoke them, the end grains get the you know the, the hottest or the warmest as the you know the, the heat travels laterally through the pipe, and the sidewalls are where it's the coolest. And on some some woods, like, um, oh, boxwood, which, you know, was a tra traditional wood before briar was used, it's porous enough. I mean, it's an excellent wood, just works great, but it's porous enough so that, and be, remember, I'm an aromatic smoker, so, you know, the, the I guess it's the topping that, that is in the tobacco, leaches through as you're smoking it the end grain of the wood and on the outside of the bowl, you have a stain, a darker stain of the tars and such that go through from the inside of the bowl that is an exact outline of the inside diameter and shape of your tobacco chamber. Huh. It, it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. It, um, it's kind of different. It looks like you have a black stripe on two sides of your pipe. So your your appreciation really is for the wood and for the artistry and 
after a couple of bowls, it tastes like your tobacco anyway. You betcha. Yeah. yeah matter of fact, some of some of the other pipes, some of the, the briars that I've traded, um, you know, and I have some really nice pipes, and and but I smoke an aromatic. So some of the people that I've traded them to, you know, a month later they'll come up to me and they'll say, "Geez, I <laughs> I had to smoke Virginias in that, or I had to put Latakia in that for, you know, twenty bowls till I got rid of that flavor." <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they just don't have the right taste. That's all. What can I say? Uh, do you match the pen that you're using to the pipe that you're smoking at that time? Sometimes I do, yeah. Now you can't re- you can't really smoke tobacco, smoke a pipe while you're writing. I've tried that, and it's <laughs> you know some ashes get on my paper, then it's it's all over. So I I uh, what I try and do is whatever you know uh, pen I'm using during my work of the day, I will smoke. A pipe that I have of that wood that the pen holder is going to have later that evening, and it gives me a really nice appreciation for the tie, you know, the relationship. Because I love my writing so much, I love to do that writing. I love to smoke a pipe, and so they're both very pleasurable experiences, and one just goes into the other. It's really quite a nice, you know, sort of experience for me. I got to take a break right here, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the uh, we're going to talk about the writing. So we'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. I'm not just a pipe smoker; I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeerschaumStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeerschaumStore.com, the most trusted Meerschaum store for 50 years. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We are back. Mike is still on the phone with us. Mike, explain to me, you are a master penman, but the penman style that you're actually is called Spencerian script? Yes. Can you give us a base, give us a little bit of basics cuz it's not exactly your old-fashioned calligraphy. It's a it's a variation, right? Well, it's it's pretty special. It's it's American handwriting. It's it's it was the first our first nationally adopted system of handwriting in the United States. It's pretty special for for all of us who are who love to write because um, of the heritage of it. When I'll just make this brief because I don't want to take too much time, but when we were founded as a nation, our founding fathers had English educational backgrounds because obviously we were colonies of England. And so the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the Articles of Confederation, they were all written in an English style of script called copperplate or English roundhand. And to do that, you use your finger muscles exclusively, and it's very laborious. And the goal was, remember this was an English script, was that everybody's work would look exactly the same. So uniformity and consistency was the object. In the late 1820s, an American by the name of Platt Rogers Spencer, he was born in New York State, um, he developed a new style of handwriting based on nature. He f- he felt that because God created nature and God created people, we should be able to use our physical m- muscles to create language that's visible with some of the same aspects that he sees in nature or saw in nature that give it its beauty. And he, he isolated four, and, and they were... Movement, curvature, contrast, and a sense of variability. So he changed the whole way that handwriting was done. He he professed that because when we move and walk, we use a combination of muscles 
just using finger muscles is not the best way to do it, and it's not the most natural way. So he introduced us to what he called combined muscular movement, using your forearm as well as your shoulder and your fingers and your your, your wrist. It was very different. It was innovative at the time. And because he, he said as long as curves were correct, just like you see in nature, and his models were the the water-worn beach pebbles on lakeshore. Uh, and if your spacing is consistent, and his model for that were the waves on Lake Erie. When he was 10 years old, the family moved to north, northern Ohio, which is right on the lakeshore of Lake Erie. He says as long as those factors were, were, were considered to be, you know, good, then if you wanted to shade your letters, if you wanted to make them fancier, you could change it as long as the spacing was consistent and the curvature was smooth. This allowed people to create handwriting that was individualistic. And in a country that was founded on principles of personal and religious freedom, it was a perfect thing because it allowed everyone to establish in their own handwriting their own sense of individuality and personal expression that had never been done before. And because of that, it made people want to write and in order to do that, they had to learn how to read. <laughs> so this kind of handwriting was one of the biggest factors that helped America become a literate nation for people wanting to be, you know, be literate. Well, there's, of course, it's, it's a long story, but there is, uh, during the 19th century, we went through a period before the, the advent of the typewriter in the, in the 19, in the ten, in teens, where Everything was done by hand. So basically the whole 19th century, all of our history, everything that was transcribed into words was handwritten. Uh, I mean, there were books and such that were printed, but all correspondence was done by, by hand. That's why the original Declaration of Independence, of course, even though that was the 18th century, was, of course, done by hand. But so was Lincoln's Gettysburg Address and all of the scientific breakthroughs and yeah, everything was done that way. All of the Civil War, you know, correspondence and and so on. Well, it's, it was very special because in those days, your handwriting was kind of your ticket to get a job. The better at handwriting you were, the more skilled you were, the easier it was for you to get a job, the more marketable you were. So the penmen started to compete against each other and started to make fancier letters. So, like, if I could write a letter fancier than you could, I would stand a better chance of getting a job. And what resulted from that was this unbelievably beautiful uh, handwriting that existed in our country for, like, 70 years. The, the penmanship era is generally considered to be from roughly, the, I mean, the big era, the golden age, they call it, was really from about the 18, early 70s until about 1920, 1925, and that's when the Industrial Revolution had progressed so far that the typewriter took over. My own teacher was, uh, was he, my, my teacher was, named Paul O'Hara. He went to the most prestigious penmanship school in the United States and graduated from there in 1908. When I met him, he was 90 years old, and I was 30. And you know, and no one, he said, nobody had talked to him about penmanship in 50 years. He used to complain. He said, you know, the penmanship profession went down the toilet in 28 because of that damn typewriter. <laughs> so, you know, that, that pretty much, it sort of was the death knell for penmanship. And, um, you know, I've been very fortunate because of, you know, I was the, the last student of one of the last living masters from that era. And I've been fortunate to be able to do a lot of things that have, brought it back and sort of saved it from, you know, from being completely forgotten. You know, we have this tendency that if if this, you know, if, if this light bulb or this mousetrap works great and has for years and all of a sudden tomorrow something new comes along that's a little bit different, even though the old one still works, we just forget about it and put it away. So penmanship just became forgotten. And, you know, because of my teacher and my experiences with him, and you know, I think you know my history well enough. I was able to do a lot of things because I just couldn't let that die any further. And so I, I was kind of the person that brought it back. And today, it's it's healthy and growing. Many people are doing it, and we have 
workshops and there's an organization that is kind of the leading one in that regard. So, yeah, I, my focus is on Spenserian script. It's American penmanship from the 19th century, and it's, it's very fancy and very beautiful. Now, besides Ronald Reagan, you've also worked for the uh, Motion Picture Academy? Yes, I used to do the, uh, the nomination certificates for the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. You know, when, when you see the Oscars being given, well, those people are given a statue. But before that happens, they have the nominations, and those people get a certificate. And I did those certificates for a couple of years. And then you might remember, back in the late 90s, there was a time when those Oscars were stolen. All the statues were stolen. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. They were, they were well, they got pretty nervous then about having someone way out in Kansas <laughs> doing them. So they, you know, they, they, I kind of ended, you know, they ended my time with them, which was fine. I did it for a couple of years. And then they, they got a calligrapher in Beverly Hills to do it. And you've also gone to Japan. Well, yeah, a couple of countries. I, you know, I was the first American penman to be specifically asked to come to Japan, Italy, and Mexico to teach American penmanship. And you know, I had in each case I taught it through an interpreter, so that that was kind of an experience too. This this next year I'll be going back to um, to both Mexico and Italy to teach again. But you know, it's the beauty of it is is very natural, and that's the reason why it it sort of bridges cultures and you know and, and different languages. The beauty of nature in Italy is the same as it is in every other place in the world. Curvature, movement, contrast, and variability. So, and, and the people, no matter where they live, are people. They have the same muscles that we do. So, the, you know, they can write it with the same movements, the same muscular motion. And, the, you know, a rose is considered beautiful in no matter where it grows in any country. So the curvature of these lines, the the drama of the contrast is a a natural form of beauty that isn't American, it's not Japanese, it's a natural form of beauty. We invented Spencerian script, this man invented it, but, um, you know, the, the beauty of it is not American, it's universal. And that's why no matter what country, uh, you know, sees it and enjoys it, so it's yeah it's it's pretty special. I've I've been fortunate to. I'm kind of like the guy at the you know like the storyteller at the campfire. <laughs> you know, all the old timers are gone, and I'm sort of the guy telling their stories and and traveling and doing it. We now have some other penmen besides myself who are doing that as well. People that you know students of mine and people who are also using the internet to to teach. Um, what they call online courses and to just have, I think they call them posts on websites about the history of the old penman. So there's a lot of education that's going on now through the internet, which, you know, I am not part of. I'm, I'm, I consider myself to be a a very traditional old school penman. I, you know, I, I write and I, you know, do my work and, you know, people take pictures of it and, Sometimes they send those through the ether of the internet, but I don't really do that. I'm I'm just sort of, you know, one of the I'm like the old timers, I guess, in that way. Now, a really important question: When you travel, do you take a pipe with you? <laughs> no, I, I I take number of pipes. With okay. Me. No, I always. Oh yes, M- most of my travels. Well, in the United States, most of my travels, I drive because I, I go to homeschooling conventions, you know, where I, I'm promoting my new book, American Cursive Handwriting, to help, you know, adults and their children learn cursive handwriting because it's it's not being taught as much anymore. And then I go to, to fountain pen shows around the country. So most of the ones that I go to, I drive. If they're within 600 miles, maybe 700 miles, from where I live, and I'm in Kansas, so I'm in the center of the country, uh, you know, I drive because I bring my product with me. I do, you know, fly when I have to go to either of the coasts, 
and of course I fly when I go overseas, but um, I always, always bring my pipes with me. I usually bring uh, no less, no fewer than six pipes with me. I mean, you can't just have one. <laughs> it's, you can't do that. That's you know, it's like only bringing one pen. You can't it just you know can't do that. So yes, I enjoy it very much, and and uh, it's it's been a real joy for me to to savor that pleasure. When I was in the Navy, I, I mean, we're going back to the the days of Vietnam. I wasn't in Vietnam. I was served then, but I was I was stationed on an oiler that traveled all throughout the Atlantic and, and up above the Arctic Circle. And so, you know, having my my pipe with me was a, a great comfort and a pleasure as well. As, as everybody knows, it, your pipe becomes a very good friend, and it, they have traveled with me everywhere I go. Now, even though you say you're an analog guy in a digital world, you do have a website full yeah. of all the material that you've produced for people to learn how to, for them to learn the Spencerian script and kind yeah. of educational DVDs and all kinds of stuff. So you're 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 uh, lying a little bit when you say you're not all digital. Well, but. yeah, my wife has, has made all those things happen and then as i've seen you know in order to make a living you you know i get inquiries from all over the world and so you know my wife has, has set up you know the website and and emails and and um and i i do have to answer emails for business purposes but you know all of that is is for the efficiency of answering people when they need to have their questions responded to and and they're from all over so yeah i i need to at least give the semblance of being a businessman and, and knowing those things. But my wife's a, a great help. And yet still, you know, when I really want to to speak with a friend that I can't physically talk to, I write them a letter. And I enjoy that as much as I do pipe smoking. The website is Spencerian, S-P-E-N-C-E-R-I-N.com. And we'll, uh, we'll drop a link on the... Uh, on the show for it if you want to see some of mike's work uh we'll post a we'll post a picture or two of you on the show as well but uh, if you go to my disney tobacchiana collection you'll see a absolutely gorgeous proclamation that was done by mike specifically for me one year at the kansas city pipe show oh it was a great privilege sir to honor you and in fact, it owes, it it owes the honor of one of the probably the only piece of art that I've ever brought home that my wife said, "Oh, I know exactly where that's going to go," and it was on a wall, not in a not in not in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm really flattered now. <laughs> now let's go forward because over the summer we played three excerpts of the Spencerian saga poetry that you've written and that is now soon to be coming out on CD, correct? Yes, yeah, actually uh, we're right in the process of, of completing the production of it. And it's over an hour and a half, if I understand it, it correctly? It, it's it's a little longer. It's, a, it's just a, maybe a minute shy of two hours. It's a two CD set. And we've heard a little bit, of course, of what I just recorded in the hotel room in Kansas City, but this is professionally done in a recording studio with music and in a in a real sound in a real sound room. Yes, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sure was. <laughs> and the saga tell us tell us what the, the saga is. Well the the Spencerian saga is um it, it's really the the story of American penmanship. You know, Platt Roger Spencer, who founded Spencerian Script, is known as the father of American handwriting. And his story and his legacy goes throughout, you know, the 19th century and the early 20th. And those of us, you know, that were of the baby boomer age learned Palmer penmanship, which evolved from Spencerian Script. They basically took Spencerian and made it simpler around the turn of the century in 1900 or so. And um, then that's what we learned during the first half of the 20th century. 
So the Spencerian saga is is that whole story. My poems that I've written um, are about what many people call the glory days of penmanship or America's golden age of penmanship. And during that time, it was pretty special because, you know, it was before typewriters. It was in the late uh, 19th and very early 20th century. So it was during the Industrial Revolution when, you know, correspondence was very important, you know, for industry and commerce and education and business and such. Um, Everything had to be done by hand. So the penmen were unbelievable in terms of their skills. They just were incredible. You know, anybody can look up the old-timers' work, and it's hard not to be impressed. And they had fun with it as well. You know, they had penmen's conventions. There were, you know, the legendary master penmen. And there were, you know, some specific uh, stories and legends like that of the, the master's pen. The master's pen was this this fabled pen where the staff of the pen was made of amber and the point was made of gold. And at the penman's convention, after all the teaching was done during the week, at the end of the week, they would clear the banquet hall, put a long table in the center of it, and put a piece of paper and a little container of ink at each seating place. And then one by one, all the students would sit on chairs on the outside edges of the room and all the masters then would come in one by one in a straight line and file into their seats. And then when they were ready, the person who was the, the chairman of that event would come in with a wooden box, a box made of rosewood. And as he opened up, he, he made a little speech, and then he would open the box and reach inside for this master's pen. And he would pass it to the first master who would write something, just something quick. And then he'd pass it to the next master. And the thrill was to see who would get any of those pieces of paper that were written not just by a master, but by a master's pen. (laughs) Well, it's a legend, and it's a story. And my teacher, who was part of that era, told these to me. And, you know, they were lost for years. I mean, it's it's part of America's cultural heritage that that is interesting and fun and, and, uh, you know, kind of just lost so i wrote poems about all these i've enjoyed you know writing narrative poetry for many years and i've you know recited them for well over 20 years at my workshops all over the the world and you know even in those foreign countries they i would say a stanza and it would it would be you know interpreted in the other language and people have asked many times to to record them and so I finally did, and, and that's what this, you know, collection of, uh, of poetry is. So it'll be available shortly through your website? Yes, it, it'll be. My goal is to have it ready by early December so that people can order it for Christmas. It'll be available on my website and through um, a couple other distributors. Eventually, you know, Amazon.com will get it, and I... I'm hoping that Barnes & Noble would pick it up. I think they probably will. You know, narrated books, audio books of, of narrated poetry aren't terribly common. And this one's really unusual. It's, um, it's just a very unusual topic. And handwriting is very nostalgic. You know, many people think about it and, you know, from when they learned, and it brings back memories. And on how their parents wrote or how their grandparents wrote. And so I think there'll be quite a bit of interest in it. Um, at least I, I hope they will. I, I tried to record them as, as best as I could. The parts that I've heard are wonderful. It was just truly a, a, a relaxing couple of minutes for me just listening to you tell the, tell the saga. Well, thank you, sir. And we're going to wrap this up with the Fast Five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, short or long, doesn't matter. Are you ready? Yes, sir. What's your favorite pipe? Oh, my goodness. Um, my favorite pipe is one that my uh, my wife bought me. It's uh, you know it's not the highest-end pipe. It's, it's a, a Savinelli Champagne uh, poker. It was the first pipe that my wife bought me, and I treasure it very much. 
And what's your favorite tobacco? <laughs> I should I should say Master Pendant. I mean, and and it really is. It's a McClellan blend that they made for me, and I was very honored. They they named it for me, and it's it's a light aromatic with. I guess some people say it has hints of hazelnut. Some say a uh, little vanilla. I've even heard some people say that they they even have a sense of chocolate in it. But uh, I enjoy it so much, and uh, it was really something special when they they gave that to me. They they wanted to uh, to honor me for the work I've done for the club, and they said, "Geez, we're not going to give you a certificate." <laughs> <laughs> so they did this, and it was it was very special. I, I know exactly how they feel because one time I, want, I, I went to send you a thank you note and I was scared to death to write anything to you. No, no, no. no. It's never, nobody should feel that way about writing to me. You know, the idea of handwriting isn't how pretty it looks. I mean, that's nice and people enjoy it. But, you know, when you write anybody, anything, you're giving them the biggest gift in the world. You're giving them your time. And, you know, it, it doesn't have to look like a a million dollars, like a fancy invitation from the White House. It's it's you. It's the personal, you know. It's it's the personal expression from your hand that comes from your heart and your you know your thoughts from your brain to correspond with somebody else. That's the biggest, the biggest, you know, flattering honor you can give to anybody by giving them your you know the time of your thoughts and the time it takes to actually write a letter. And what's your favorite drink? <laughs> well, oh, my favorite drink. If you mean an alcoholic drink, uh, again, this <laughs> this will probably get some people to turn their noses up. Um, in the evening when I'm smoking a pipe, I like a little glass of, of sweet wine. I'm, I'm not a, you know, by no means a heavy drinker or any of that at all. I just enjoy a nice little glass of sweet wine like a dessert wine or just a fruit wine, just a small glass of it with a pipe, and I'm very happy camper as I read my Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> so that answers the next question, because when relaxing, is it a book, a movie, or music? The the most enjoyable is, is to read. Um, I enjoy movies, too, of course, like most people do, but the most enjoyable, thoroughly enjoyable experience where the whole... My whole being feels relaxed and just savoring the moment is by is reading. And, you know, I'm a, as you know, I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan. So Regis McCaffrey and I have something in common. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I enjoy that so very much. And the last of them, do you have a favorite pipe memory? Um, yeah, I do. It's, uh, and it's, it's a interesting one because it was almost a, a a tragedy for me. One of the things that um, when I was in college, see, after high school, I went to college, and then after college, I went into the Navy. And during my years at college, my scoutmaster, oh, I revered him. He was like a grandfather to me. I just thought the world of him. Uh, he smoked a pipe, and he passed away. And, you know, that was very sad. And I was given his pipes. There were only like four of them. I was given his pipes, and one of them was an old K Woody, a big, heavy K Woody. But I just loved that pipe, and I, I took it with me in the Navy, and I was, you know, I'd smoke it. Well, you know, obviously, you smoke. Even in those days, we didn't really smoke indoors, you know, inside this, the ship's quarters because it's quite confined. So you'd smoke it out on deck. Well, I was, uh, I was smoking it uh, outside, but it was. It was a quite a stormy night, and I, you know, I, I tried to to be up on the deck in a in a somewhat sheltered place where I could still, you know, like you see some people smoking a cigarette outside of a building, huddled in the cold against the the door jam. So I was huddled between what we call some of the stanchions, and just then, I was smoking that pipe. This we we hit a big swell. This was this was quite a storm, actually. There was a wave that must have been 30 feet high. I was on a very big ship. I was on an oiler. We refueled other ships. And all of a sudden, this huge wall, I mean, 30 feet high, came up and just went right over the deck. And it knocked me down, knocked the pipe out of my hand. And the pipe went flying. And so did I. But, the, you know, I was afraid, oh, it's going to go over the, overboard and 
never see it again. Well, on the side of Navy ships, they have a rim of steel. They're called scuppers that prevent, you know, everybody from just slipping off the edge. And lo and behold, the pipe got caught in one of those scuppers. Well, when I was knocked down, my glasses were also knocked all over. So, and they went somewhere else. They also kind of went up against some other piece of machinery. So I couldn't see, and the ship was rolling and rocking. So I, I was able, the next person I saw, I was able to, to have them help me, and we searched, and, and I found that pipe. <laughs> and the stem had been broken, but it was just the stem. And I still have that, you know, I've gotten it repaired, and I, so I treasure that pipe, you know, a great deal. So that's my, my favorite pipe experience. It survived the wild seas. Yeah, it was in the North Sea, <laughs> off the coast of Norway. It was, yeah, it was quite something. <laughs> it's one of those things where you sort of had to be there, you know. <laughs> Mike, thank you for your time. Thank you for your talent, and keep up the great work. Well, you're you're more than welcome. It's my pleasure. I I enjoy our hobby so much. You know, pipes have introduced me to the to the dearest friends I have, and I I just I treasure them all and our times together. Um, it's it's really something special. So thank you, and I look forward to seeing you again the next time that, that our paths can meet. We'll be back in just a minute. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> in fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Welcome back. Hey, Kevin and I are going to call an audible right here. We're going to skip right past the music. I just want to say that Mike Sull is just wonderful. I can sit and listen to him talk forever, and I love hearing his story. So that's why that went, you know, let, went long. I hope you enjoyed it as much as, as much as I did. Every chance I get to Kansas City, I always try to hang out with Mike for a little bit, and I've seen him actually sit down and write somebody's name out, or he's done that for my daughter. It's just, it's absolutely gorgeous work. Uh, we'll try to get that picture that's on my Disney Tobacchiana page on Facebook. Try to get that picture posted up on the forum as well. You've got mail. Cornerstone 1976. Thank you for posting your feedback and review on iTunes. We do appreciate all those. If you haven't had a chance, please do that. It helps the show get higher ranked on iTunes. Uh, but Cornerstone said that he wished that they did more, uh, did tobacco reviews on the show. Uh, I wish I could do tobacco reviews. I honestly do. I just can't. I really can't. My taste profile is so narrowed that I would just do a disservice to everybody. On Pipes Magazine, there are some wonderful folks that do the reviews, so check those out if you want really good reviews. If you want my opinion, there's only three kinds of tobaccos. Ones I don't like, ones I like, and ones I'll pay for, and the ones that I'll pay for, well, that's for me to know. Uh, going back to episode 60, John Seiler, I always love seeing your comments, number one. I love seeing them when they first pop up. Where were you last week? You got in a little late. 
anyway, it appears that the uh, Cracker Barrel story has uh, gotten some people's uh, attention. And some of you think it's great that they actually separate all the food. Some of you think it's crazy like I do. It wasn't all that much food, though. That was just a basic breakfast. It's just that everything was cut up into uh, different pieces. Um, Tim Canny asks about uh, pipes as an investment thing. I think, Tim, I'm going to poke around, do some research, and try to come up with some numbers and do that in a future pipe parts. Forum member Eris Stokels wrote about last week's show, as always a great show, these weekly 45 to 50 minutes I think might be the only sane time of my week. Really appreciate the effort, guys. I appreciate the comments. Glad we had a little bit of sanity in this little crazy show to your week. Uh, appreciate all the positive comments that come in. I also appreciate all the uh, critiques that come in. In particular... I got one coming up for you next in rant time. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical. A tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliffTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented perfect match system. Try it at SutliffTobacco.com. Go to SutliffTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. This is Internet Radio. Cowboy. Cowboy. Peak by Perique is the name of the forum post that caught my attention on Pipes Magazine. And I'm scrolling through it and I read it and it says, uh, Member Craig94YJ said that he had listened to the episode of the radio show about Perique and was interested in looking for some recommendations. Now, we go down a little bit. There's some good recommendations from Sam Coffeeman's... Uh, he gave some good recommendations, but what gets me is Roth NH, who is no longer a member of the Pipes Magazine forums, but has posted over 15,000 posts in 14 months, so 15,000 posts in 14 months. He goes on to say that he doesn't like the radio show, he doesn't like my interviewing, he doesn't think I do a good job of interviewing. Uh, one other member, Ol Whalen, agrees that he doesn't like my inter doesn't think I do a good job of interviewing, and I agree, I'm not a professional interviewer. I'm not. I said that from day one, I said it from the beginning, I'm not a professional interviewer. But then there's some more back and forth about what they don't like about the radio show, back and forth, this and that, and you can read through it at your own leisure. Here's the line that gets me the most, and this is from Roth NH, and if anybody knows him, please pass this sentiment along to him for me. Uh, Brian just misses the boat entirely when it comes to interviewing skills. Of the few podcasts I've listened to, and this is after he says that he doesn't listen to the show or only listen to a few, he's confused about that, I kept asking myself why he didn't appear to prepare and then ask questions on issues we puffers want to know more about. Hey, might just be me. Most people have enjoyed the podcast. Me, not so much. Because it's with a bit more prep, they could be so much better. Well, let me tell you something, Roth NH. Some of the stuff that you don't know is that I do a lot of preparation, and I'm smart enough, and I'm involved in the business enough to know certain questions not to ask people, and those are pretty much what you're angling towards because you think you know everything anyway, so you want to learn something new. Well, you don't know everything, and you don't know that... I can't ask a tobacco blender some of their secrets. I can't ask a pipe maker some of their secrets. I can't ask a pipe repair guy some of his secret processes. Those aren't just, they're just not 
askable questions, and I'm not going to put somebody in a position of that. I never claim to be a professional interviewer. I am a professional pipe smoker, pipe seller, tobacco, tobacconist, whatever you want to call it. But I did get a lot of support from Harris, better known as Cigar Master, uh, Dragon Slayer, and Mike, all forum members that posted that they enjoy the show. Those are the guys that the show's for. And Roth NH, if you don't like the way I do this show and you happen to get this message because you're no longer on the forums, well, hey, go get your own podcast and show me how to do it better. Uh, lastly, I want to say thank you to Cortez on that same post for putting together a pretty good list of uh, some really good Virginia Periques for Craig94YJ to go out there and start. All right, coming up in some future shows, now that I got that off my chest, I've got a couple of ladies lined up. There was a post asking for some uh, women's point of views, and i got a couple of interesting ladies that are willing to come on the show and be my guest next week, Thanksgiving, Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Kevin and I will be here full of turkey, both solid and liquid. Keep those forum posts coming. I appreciate them. Keep the comments coming on iTunes. If you want to, follow me on Facebook. Every once in a while, I put something up there that's uh, kind of interesting. So with that, I'll say thank you to everybody for tuning in. Thank you to all of our loyal listeners. Thank you to the fine folks at the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to Celebrity voices are impersonated. And the following is my impersonation of Roth N.H. I'm old and I'm not happy. Everything today is improved and I don't like it. I hate it. Whoopee! You were a public menace. Hallelujah, look at me. Whoopee!